you to, to just continue with me this morning as we talk about possessing the promises of God. Last week was more of a high-level overview. What does it look like for us to possess God's promises? And then so we're going to kind of get into more of the nitty-gritty today. What does it require for us to possess the promises of God? So I'm going to just um, recapitulate a little bit. We read Deuteronomy chapters. 8 verses 1 through 3. We're going to go over that one more time. This is God speaking to Moses. They had just come out of the wilderness. Uh, literally, they're standing on the other side of the River Jordan, about to cross over into the promised land after 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. Now, we talked about the wilderness. The wilderness is essential. There's a purpose in the wilderness. But how many know that we can stay too long in the wilderness? It was never the will of the Lord that his children would spend 40 years there, but it was because of their unbelief that they ended up doing so. That generation would die off, and the new generation only would go in and possess the promise. So here they are about to cross over into the promised land, and God says to Moses, I want you to address the children of Israel. And starting at verse 1, it says, The whole commandment that I command you today, you shall be careful to do that you may live and multiply and go in. Say, go in. And then next, possess. Say, possess. Possess the land that the Lord swore to give your fathers. So there is a going in. They came out. But now they have to go in. But why are they going in? To possess. To possess the land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers. Verse 2. And you shall remember, remember the whole way the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness. That he might humble you. Testing you to know what was in your heart. Whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger. And fed you with manna which you did not know. Nor did your fathers know. That he might make you know. That man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Wow, there is so much in this. And literally, uh, as we, we continue, we're going to see that there's, there's a lot of, of depth to this message. And there's a lot of powerful principles here that we need to embrace if we're going to see breakthrough. Because we are called to go in and possess the land as well. But the inheritance that God has for us is not a piece of real estate. It's not what was known uh, back then as the land of the Canaanites and all the different nights, seven different nights, and then the Vegemites as well. No, but they, the, the truth is it was actually a place that God had said, this belongs to you. This is your allotment. They were evil. They've lost it. You're going to go in and you're going to possess this land. But you have to be intentional in doing what God has called you to do. And as you continue to read Deuteronomy 8, you see there's solemn warnings there. Make sure when you go in that you're going to prosper. Things are going to be very different. There's, no, there's not going to be uh, manna anymore. No more water coming from the rock. But as you go in, you will prosper. You, you are going to have abundance. You'll lack nothing. Make sure when you come into that season of prosperity that you do not forget the Lord you're gone. Don't forget him. And then it says later in the chapter, because he's the one who gave you the power to create wealth. And so after you've eaten and you're full, give thanks. How many know that that is the opposite of what we do? We pray and give thanks before we eat. 
right? But the Jews actually do before and after. But the point is, you give thanks and you say, God, I thank you for you are the one who's blessed me with all these blessings. It's not because of me how skillful I am, how privileged I am, but it's because of your goodness. And this is the important thing. God brought them into the wilderness to humble them is what it says. Humble them, right? And and to humble them in which way? Humility, from God's perspective, isn't about us thinking just less about ourselves, like, oh, I'm, I'm... I'm, you know, I'm nothing. That's not the, uh, the purpose of it. But humility isn't about thinking less about us, but it's thinking more about God. That we recognize who he really is. And the Bible says that we are to magnify the Lord. Magnify the Lord. That means like zoom. And if you've ever seen, you know, mountains from a distance, you can look at those mountains and, and you may not be able to tell which peak of those mountains is actually the tallest from a distance. But as you draw near to the mountains, you realize how grandeur, how lofty they really are. And so the scripture tells us to magnify the Lord. The Bible tells us to draw near to God in James chapter 4. And as we draw near, we see him for who he really is. We see him for who he is. I've heard about you, God. You know, pastors preached a message about you. My parents told me about you. And I've read the stories in the Bible. But to actually behold him and to see him and to know who he is, that's what he wills for your life. That you have that personal encounter and revelation with him. That you behold him. And, and as we've been talking about, particularly the past several months in Numa, as we behold him, we become like him. Amen. We become like him as we behold him. And things are put in their proper perspective. So the idea here is that humility is to teach us greater dependence on the Lord. Yes. Greater dependence on God. Yes. Uh, Psalm 10.4 says this, the wicked man... In the pride of his countenance, does not seek God. God is in none of his thoughts. Listen to this. So sometimes we think, how do I pray better? How do I, you know, be more disciplined in my prayer life? The Bible says it's a wicked person that doesn't pray. Because in the pride of his countenance, he doesn't seek God. Why is that? Because he's self-satisfied. He's smug. I'm good. Why do I need to pray? I'm, I've got everything I have need of. Then when he gets in trouble, she gets in trouble. Then they call upon the name of the Lord. But the scary thing about that, if it's not done from a spirit of repentance in Proverbs chapter 1, God says, I'll laugh at you and the day of your disaster. Woo. I'll laugh at you in the day of your disaster. Why? Because it's like, God, I don't have time for you. I'm doing things my way. You get in trouble and you're like, oh, God, bail me out. But your heart has nothing to do with wanting to follow him, surrender him, honor him. But you're just in trouble and he just becomes, you know, uh, look, I've traveled all over the world. I've preached in many places. And I found in certain religions of the world, religions that are polytheistic, religions that believe there's more than one God, they will accept Jesus easily. Why? Because he's just another God. 
Oh, yeah, he, he might be the missing blessing. Jesus might be, you know, what I really need. And so, yeah, I'll add him as an, as an additional God. But that's not what the scripture teaches. That's idolatry. The Bible teaches that here there is only one God and we're to love him with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And we're to worship him alone. And so when we're withholding our worship from him, when our lives are not surrendered to him fully, and we're not seeking him with all of our heart, we're not being obedient to him, we're going to go through a journey here over the next few weeks where we actually break down the specific ways and steps which God requires of us in order that we will appropriate all of his promises. I don't know about you, but I have seen God answer my prayers and do amazing things Some of you guys have heard some of our our testimony, but I will tell you this. There's still more land to be taken. There's still more promises to be appropriated. And I don't want to sit back and just go, well, hey, I've got 50% of what God wants for me. I want it all. I want to appropriate like the children of Israel who failed to possess all the land that God had given to them. Now, we must go in. We must take it all. Well, there's resistance at times. The enemy doesn't want you to possess what God has planned for your life. He wants you to settle for mediocrity. Second best is first loser. That's U.S. Marines, by the way. Second best, first loser. Think about that. God, I appreciate that. But there's more. There's more. He's got so much more for us. Will we possess the land? See, the children of Israel were on a journey through the wilderness, but ultimately it was to take them to a destination. And they knew where they were going. It's interesting. When you you read... Their time in, in Egypt, when Moses approaches Pharaoh, he says, let my people go. Remember? All the times, right? And he was, he was hard-hearted. He was stubborn. He wouldn't allow them to go. Ten plagues later, he agrees, like, get out of here, right? Gladly, please, leave. And, and what takes place is every time that Moses addressed Pharaoh and said, let, God says, let my people go. Do you know what he said? He never mentioned going to the promised land. Not once. He said that they may worship me in the wilderness. Another, one, trans- uh, another time it says that they may hold a festival or feast to me in the wilderness. Now, perhaps Pharaoh wouldn't have agreed at all if he said, no, we're going to the promised land. But I believe that the children of Israel didn't fully understand what God was taking them into. How many know that when you decided that, hey, I heard the gospel, Jesus loves me, he died for me, he's forgiven me of all my sins, and, and he died on the cross so I might have eternal life, and that sounded like a good deal, you said yes, And you believed in your heart, you confessed with your mouth, you repented of your sins, but you just started on a journey. You just began on a journey. 
And I bet if you were to know everything that you would experience, you probably would have given a second thought about following Jesus. I thought it's going to be easy. I thought it's going to be all, you know, roses and and, and, and just there's not going to be any trouble, not any difficulties, no trials. No, guys, not at all. People fail. We fail. Things happen in life that are still painful and disappointing. But as we continue on the journey, and, and my point is this, we want the promised land. It's God's plan. It's our inheritance. But we have to learn to worship in the wilderness before we praise him in the promised land. Can you worship God in the wilderness when things are difficult? Easy to praise him in the promised land. I got everything. He answered me. It's like the story of the children of Israel. When they came out of Egypt, straight away, they're out coming out of Egypt, right? And Pharaoh says, go, leave. And then he, he changes his mind. He's like, oh, what did I do? Send the troops after them. Let's pursue these Israelites. And they see this, this massive military presence pursuing them and literally hemming them in. And the Red Sea is behind them. They're literally encompassed by the armies of Pharaoh. There's nowhere to go. And people began to cry out in unbelief. What are we going to do? And what do they do? They put the blame on Moses, right? Moses, did you bring us out here so we can die in the wilderness when there are not enough graves in Egypt? I mean, you know, the, the narrative. And what happens is Moses is like, God, your people got issues. What are you going to do with them? And he's like, stand still and see the salvation of God. I'm going to cause the Red Sea to part. Wow, what an amazing thing. And then as they cross the Red Sea, millions of them cross over to uh, over the Red Sea. What takes place, according to the account in Exodus chapter 15, is a breakout into praise and worship. Miriam and the ladies, I mean, they've got the timbrels, they've got... They've got uh, worship going on, and they're praising God. Remember the song, as I was singing to the Lord, he's triumphed gloriously. The horse and rider have been cast into the sea. Great song, but there was a problem. They had the right song, but they had it on the wrong side. God wants us to have that song when we're at the place where it doesn't even look like We've got a breakthrough. You see, praise and worship is when it's done from our heart, not, not out of God, oh, but I mean out of a place of confidence and conviction with what his word says and who he is, that you know him as a good father. He's immutable. He's unchanging. And when you recognize who he is, you can begin to worship him and believe for a breakthrough. Paul said in Galatians chapter 6 that faith works by love. That means that we, we know who God is because we know he's a loving father. And I have faith. Jesus said, if you being evil 
know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who trust him, those who obey him? You see that? We have to come to that place where we trust in his goodness, where we trust in who he is. So the wilderness was a place where God brought them through to teach them dependence that you will know in your heart that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word. That literally means that there's not just one word, but every word. The idea in the present tense means it's continual. It's continual. Continually. Boom, boom. There was a word God had for you six years ago. There was a word that maybe he gave you three years ago, two years ago, six months ago, even last week. But there's still a word for you today. There's a word for you tomorrow. There's a word for you next month. There's a word for you that God wants to speak directly to your heart. So going in and, and possessing the promised land is his will. We, we talked about this in the sense that what the promised land actually represented to them and then how that spiritual fulfillment is for us today. The promised land is called the place of rest. It serves as a powerful symbol and a preview of the spiritual rest that we would receive and experience in the new covenant in Christ, right? Remember Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 and 29, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. See, this truth is clearly stated in Hebrews 4, 8, where it mentions that if Joshua had truly managed to provide them with this rest, God would have not spoken of a future day of rest. So what they experienced in the Old Testament was just a, it was a type. That's all it was, a type. God says there's a rest for the people of God in the new covenant. And that rest is found in Christ Jesus. And it has this amazing um, fulfillment and correlation to what the promised land represented in the old covenant. In the promised land, they experienced, number one, the fullness of God's provision. The fullness of God's provision. Once they crossed over, as I said, there would be no more lack. Egypt was a place of not enough. The, the wilderness was a place of just enough. The promised land would be the place of more than enough. The Lord your God is bringing you into good land, a land of brooks and of water, of fountains and springs flowing out in the valleys and hills, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity. Say without scarcity. In which you will lack nothing. Lack nothing. Lack nothing is what it says. So it's a place of experiencing the fullness of God's provision in your life. Secondly, it's the place where we experience the fulfillment of his promises. Joshua 21, 45, not one word of all the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed. All came to pass. Wow. All came to pass. How many want to see that happen? Before you leave this earth, all of the promises come to pass. And guess what? There's still promises that you've not yet identified. Perhaps God hasn't revealed them to you. Sometimes we have to seek him for greater revelation. But how many want to see all of the promises come to pass, right? 
Amen. There's, there's a lot to that. And it's not about us, by the way. It's about his will. His kingdom come. His will be done. Not just, oh, God, me, 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 me. No. What God has for us is amazing, but ultimately know this, that it may not be what you want. Yeah? It may not be what you want. Sometimes the reason it's not come to pass is because it's not from him. It's not his will. Right? So that's why we have to delight ourselves in the Lord. Because when we delight ourselves in him, guess what happens? He gives us the desires of his heart. I said he will give you the desire of your heart. I know the scripture says that. But the point I'm trying to make is God begins to put within us a desire. It says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 13, that God works in us. He doesn't just work through us. God works in us. And it says, giving us, this is what the NLT says, the desire and the power to do what pleases him. God gives us the desire and the power to do what pleases us. Working in us his good pleasure, right? He works in us what he wants done. That's grace. Not only giving us those desires, but actually giving us the power to be able to live it out. Then thirdly, the promised land represented a place of salvation. So Deuteronomy 12 verse 10, he will give you rest from your enemies so that you will dwell in safety. Interestingly, guys, we're going to look at this very quickly. We mentioned this a few weeks ago. But the word salvation in the New Testament, and it has a similar meaning in the Old, actually means to be free from the harassment of an enemy. Salvation, soteria in the New Testament, freedom from the harassment of an enemy. Wow. To be free from the harassment of the enemy. How many know the enemy wants to harass you? If you're from England, he wants to harass you. Okay, but the, the truth is, I know Ozzy say harass too, right? So uh, the point is the enemy wants to create angst for you. He does. And what salvation is all about is freedom from that. The enemy will attack us in terms of wanting us to be in bondage to sin, sickness, Satan, our mental health, you know, which has to do with our soul. All of these areas... And the word sozo, which is a derivative of the word soteria, salvation, it, it's translated in all four of these places, to save or to heal, sozo. And it's used of Jesus delivering us. He will save, he will sozo his people from their sin, Matthew 1.21, James 5.16. Pray for the sick, anointing them with oil, the elders of the church. And it says in the prayer of faith, will save or sozo. It will heal them, one translation says. Luke 8, 36, when Jesus cast the demons out of the man who was tormented with the legion, it says that he was sozoned. Okay? He was completely delivered. And then lastly, in James 1, 21, James says, receive with meekness the implanted word. Speaking to believers, right? The word has been implanted in them. Now, receive it with meekness. What that means is, have a teachable spirit. Don't kick against God. Don't resist his will, but receive the truth of his word 
with meekness, with a teachable, humble heart, and it says, which is able to save your souls. And the word souls there is suke. We get psyche. And the idea is it is used for not just us in terms of like spiritually, but it's used mentally, emotionally, in every way. So he's able to bring healing to our minds. God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but a power and love and a sound mind is what the Bible says. He's able to heal us. He's able to deliver us. Trauma, pain. Well, I remember a time when I was in the United States and I was driving up the road, up a freeway, and I had gone through a very traumatic situation in ministry. And um, I mean, terrible. Lied about, stabbed in the back. And I just love people. I don't know why people have to do that. I guess it's a devil. And, and literally, like, people were saying I was demon-possessed. There was a couple of people. It was terrible. And they were the ones in the well, Anyway. So, <laughs> it takes one to, no, I don't know. But, <laughs> felt like saying no. It probably wouldn't have helped. Uh, <laughs> so, so, anyway, I'm driving up the road, and I'm like, God, I just, I, I just went, and I go, oh, my gosh, I've got pain. Like, because I was always the type of person, can I just say it? Like, ignore and override, right? And, and really, don't be a wuss. Like, just, just press through, deal with it, suck it up, buttercup. You know what I mean? That kind of thing. And that was me. And, and then one day I realized, I got, oh, my gosh, I've got this pain. And, and this isn't just like dealing with emotion in the moment, I had this pain. And I felt like the Holy Spirit said this to me. He said, ask me to heal you. I'm driving in my car, and he's like, ask me to heal you. And I thought, wow, you can heal me. So I said, all right, Father, this is real. I'm asking you to heal me right now in Jesus' name. Heal me in Jesus' name. And guys, can I tell you from that moment on, Like, literally, I felt something lift. And from that moment on, that was gone. It was gone. The pain was gone. He's able to save our souls. He's able to deliver us from emotional pain, from tormenting thoughts. He's able to bring our will into subjection so that we are not, uh, you know, just doing whatever we want, even our affections, to change our desires, our affections. But here's the truth, guys. All of this is God's promise for us, but we have to possess the promise. Look at this. Joshua 21, 43 and 44. Thus the Lord gave to Israel all the land he swore to give to their fathers. God delivered on his promise He gave them what he promised, right? He had not only promised to them, but to their fathers. And then look what it says. And they took possession of it. And they settled there. They had to take possession. See, having the promise is not enough. You have to 
take possession of the promise. You have to possess or appropriate the promise. Hebrews 11 speaks of the great men and women of God that were used by the Lord because they had faith. And it starts off literally by saying, without faith, it's impossible to please God. So without faith, it's impossible to please God. If you're just like, yeah, if God wants to do it, he can do it. You know, he knows where I live. He's got my address. No, that's not faith. Zephaniah 1 verse 12 is one of the most unknown verses in the scripture where God says, I am going to judge my people in that day. And here's why I'm going to judge them. He says this, they say in their heart. It wasn't necessarily just saying that it was verbally that they were articulating this, but they say in their heart, the Lord will not do evil. Number one. So what does that mean? It means they were living reckless lives. They were living sinfully, and there was no fear of God. Fear of God is important. Look, guys, it's, it's not just like respecting him. The word fear in the New Testament language is phobos. Phobos, we say phobia. It's a word that, yes, it certainly involves respect, but there's a sense in which we recognize how holy and powerful he is. And so we recognize that. They, they say the Lord will not do evil. Then it says in the next part of the verse, neither will he do good. Zephaniah 1.12. Neither will he do good. We stop believing for the goodness of God in the land of the living. We've stopped believing that God's going to answer our prayers. We become passive. We, we, we have just said, if he wants to do it, he can do it. That's not the way it works in the scripture. We are co-laborers with God. We are heirs of God and joint heirs of Jesus. But we must co-labor. We must come to a place where we literally have faith. And so it says that these ones, these great men and women of God, who in the Old Testament saw God do mighty things. In verse 33, it says, who through their faith conquered kingdoms. They enforced justice. And look at this. They obtained promises. They had to have faith to obtain the promise. They didn't just sit back passively, but they had to have faith. We had to have faith. We had to go in and possess the land. We're called to live in that place where we experience all of God's promises in our lives. For every problem, there's a promise. But for every promise, there's a process. Just say those three words with me. Problem, promise, process. All right, 1 Timothy 1.18. Paul speaking to Timothy about the prophetic words that were spoken over his life. And you can go back and you can see some of those uh, examples in Acts. You can also see, you know, another place in Timothy where he talks about this. And this is what he says in 1 Timothy 1.18. This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, his son in the faith, in accordance with the prophecies. Look at this. Previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. There were prophecies that were previously made. Now, what did 
Paul enjoined Timothy to? Timothy, there have been some promises spoken over your life. There's destiny all over you. God wants to use you. He wants to see incredible things come to pass in your life. But guess what, Timothy? You have to wage warfare. We're going to look at this in the ensuing weeks. How do we actually wage warfare? There's different ways in which we engage in warfare. There's different ways in which we engage in warfare. But interestingly, the word in the New Testament language that here in the English Standard Version is translated previously made literally means this, to lead forth magisterially. Think about this. So these promises are to lead you forth in a procession. Now, interestingly, if you look at one of the translations in the Bible, I think it's the Young's literal translation, this is what it says. These prophecies sent you out to battle. Check it out. It's amazing. The prophecies send you out to battle. God wants to use his prophecies to send you out to battle. I want to close with this story. This is a true story. I have a friend. He lives in America. And he had the privilege of becoming the successor of Reinhard Bonnke. His name is Daniel Kalenda. When he was a young man, he had been pastoring and he had gone through Bible school. And he applied for a job working at Christ for All Nations in Orlando, Florida. He was literally the guy who would take all the books and the products and stuff envelopes and mail them out. And Daniel, one day, as Pastor Reinhard Bonnke, Evangelist Reinhard Bonnke, who, guys, has led more people to Jesus than any human being, particularly in Nigeria. So what happens is Pastor Reinhard is walking through the warehouse, and he sees Daniel, and he stops. And he says, who is that young man? And one of his uh, employers, employees says, oh, he's come from Bible school. He says, tell him to come with me on my next crusade. He begins to travel with Reinhard Bonnke, seeing crowds up to 1.6 million people in a single meeting. Eventually, Reinhardt says, you're my successor. You're the one that's going to take over the ministry. One time, Reinhard Bonnke was preaching in Nigeria. And there was a pastor, he and his wife. It was Christmas Eve. And guys, unfortunately, they got in an argument. And uh, he, he was upset. He jumped in the car. They lived on the top of a mountain. He began to drive down the mountain. And when he hit the brakes, when he came to the curve, to the turn, the brakes went flat to the floor. He hit a concrete pillar, a high speed, and the steering column wheel went literally right through his chest. He was taken to the hospital immediately and his wife found out about it. She came to the hospital and he was dying. 
he requested that he would be taken to his own city where he was from and treated by a doctor there. They began to ship him, you know, against their, their best wishes and counsel. They, they took him and, and they began moving him. And while he was en route to, to his city, he died. What happened was his wife heard about it and she saw him dead and she began to say, no God, no way God, I don't believe it. This is not your will. You've given us so many promises and they've not come to pass. And everyone said, she's crazy. She said, no, God is going to do a miracle. And she went and locked herself into her room and she began to pray. And she opened her Bible and she looked down and this verse was staring her in the face. Hebrews eleven thirty five: Women received back their dead by resurrection. She heard that Reinhard Bonnke was coming to a nearby community to preach. And she said, we're going to bring him to the crusade. He had been dead for a few days now. Now, they do an embalming over there, which is different. They don't remove your organs, but they, they just inject you with chemicals that basically make you not smell. He had already, they'd already injected him with the chemicals. And, well, then they began to transport him. They took him to the location, to the church where Reinhard Bonnke was preaching. There was a security team there that opened the coffin to make sure that there wasn't a bomb in the coffin. They allowed them to carry the coffin into the basement of the church, the lower level of the church. There was a service going on on the top floor. The man was completely dead, rigor mortis, medically, death certificate had been issued. They placed him, took him out of the coffin, placed him on a table. He was stiff as a board and they just began to pray and thank God and after several moments they looked and they saw his chest rising in a very short period of time the man sat up he was raised from the dead Reinhard Bonnke did not pray for him did not even know he was there but he was in the presence of God and his wife had faith. Guys, they had already done kind of a, a funeral, a small funeral service for him in his village. He came back to his village, walking into his village, and people said, Ah! And they ran. Who is this? Can you imagine? One person, one woman who had faith, women received back their dead by resurrection. Can I tell you that pastoring a church in Nigeria to this day? Guys, there's a movie about this. You can watch it on YouTube. It's called Raised from the Dead, Reinhard Bonnke. What would it take if we would begin to be intentional about believing God? believing God what is it that the father wants you to believe him for see 
He wants to give you a word. He wants to give you a promise. Let's stand together, please. Stand together, please. We're going to worship him. And uh, we're going to worship him. We're going to ask him to speak to us this morning. What is it that you want to say to me, Father? What promise is it that you want to say to me? Maybe it's a promise that you've forgotten about or you've given up on. You've maybe just been casual about it. But what is that promise? Maybe there's multiple promises on his word. Come on, just begin to worship him. Holy Spirit, speak right now to your children. Speak to your children right now. Speak to your children. Father, thank you for reminding us of promises you've already revealed in the past. Thank you, Father, for new promises, fresh promises. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Sarah Exxon, I just want to speak this over you. I felt earlier the Lord said, He's got a plan for you. It's going to be, He's going to give you the desires of your heart. It has to do with your work, your job, where you're going to be able to just kind of walk away from that. You're going to be able to give yourself to what God has put in your heart. And the Lord just wants you to understand that. He's going to do it. It's going to come to pass. And it's going to come to pass. Watch. It's going to be a process, but it's going to come to pass. And God is going to release you. And He's and the word I hear is this. Oh, he's going to give you the desires of your heart. It's going to give. And it has to do with, your, with work, with job. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Yes, Lord. We praise you, Father. We honor you, Lord. Come on. What are you believing God for in 2024? Without faith, it's impossible, guys. Impossible. Let's be those who believe him. Believe in the goodness of God. Let's be those, like the prophet Zephaniah, not, not those who said the Lord will not do good. No, no, no. No, no. The, the Lord will do good. Come on. The Lord is going to do good. The Lord is good. God is good, what? All the time and all the time, what? God is good. Let's say that one more time. God is good all the time and all the time. God is good. Let's say it one more time like we really mean it. God is good all the time and all the time. God is good. Let's believe him. Let's believe him. Let's believe him. Let's believe him. What are the promises? What are the promises? What are the promises? Father, speak to your children. Come on. Speak to your children. I want to just pray for you before we dismiss this morning. If you're here and you just say, hey, will you just come into agreement with me? I'm believing that God's going to answer my prayers. God's going to fulfill this promise in my life. Will you just come and Lynn and I will just pray for you before you leave today? We just want to come into agreement. We're just going to come into agreement and pray for you for the fulfillment of God's promises over your life. Come on, just come and we're going to pray with you. If you're here, let's believe together. Let's come and do Thank you for joining us for this message today. We don't assume that every person listening has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so today, we invite you to begin following Jesus as your Lord and Savior. The Bible teaches that every one of us has been created for a relationship with God. Sin has separated us from that relationship, but God loved us so much that He gave us His one and only Son, Jesus Christ. 
Jesus lived, died and rose again, conquering sin, Satan and death itself. If we believe in our hearts that God has raised Jesus from the dead and we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. So if you are ready to pray in faith, turning away from your sin and believing in Jesus for your salvation, please pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God and I ask you to forgive me and cleanse my heart from all of my sin. I receive by faith the free gift of eternal life and I ask that you would fill me with the Holy Spirit. I thank you that I am born again as a child of God and that you have made me a new creation in Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray, Amen. If you have prayed that prayer for the first time, we would love to know and help connect you to a local church in your area. You can contact us on our website, numa.church. Thank you for listening.